Welcome back to Coffee and Cannabis. It's the show where I interview professionals, researchers, and thought leaders in the cannabis space to help bring you deeper insight into who these individuals are and how they're shaping the cannabis industry. In this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with Afshin Musabian. Afshin is the CEO of both RCU, Responsible Cannabis Use, and cannabis accessory company, Story. In the episode, we talk about how to build an industry from scratch and take a look back on how Canada approached legalization, we also talk about how to cater to new age consumers and how the 10 milligram cap may have been a good place to start. And lastly, we also talk about responsible cannabis use, destigmatization, and the origins of Afshin's company, Story. Thanks for coming on the show. Happy to chat. Uh, I'd like to start off, um, you know, asking a little bit about, you know, your background, like how you got involved into cannabis. I find it interesting that, you know, Cannabis is a relatively new industry. Like a lot of people have to bring translational skills from other jobs and other industries that they've been in. So, you know, what is what's your earlier career look like and, and how did you get in, involved in the cannabis industry? Yeah, I'd be happy to share that. Um, so my background's really been on the entrepreneurial side, specifically within the realm of um, smaller creative agencies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, back in the day, a friend of mine uh, and I sort of dropped out of university and started our first company, which was a search engine optimization company, mm-hmm. literally out of my friend's basement. <laughs> uh, from there, we really had this desire and passion for actually working on uh, working at an agency. And it's honestly, mm-hmm. at the beginning, it was more so around being able to solve different problems for different clients. From there, uh, I had a privilege of uh, being a part of a small uh, Toronto-based uh, UX focused agency mm-hmm. and at the early stages of user experience being a thing in, in um, 2007, 2008. Uh, and then they eventually got acquired by Shopify. And mm-hmm. that led me to explore the world of commerce and e-commerce and understand that you can really actually combine those skill sets of design, user experience, and online transactions and online commerce um, into one uh, beautiful sort of package. Mm-hmm. And uh, from there, uh, I, after Shopify left and really uh, ran an agency in Toronto that focused on e-commerce specifically, mm-hmm. and that was for you know clients like Sleep Country, Arden, uh, as well as some international ones like Lonely Planet. Mm-hmm. Um, so in 2018, uh, as we saw legalization come about, uh, there were more and more private companies and. Uh, provinces that were looking to see how they could set up commerce for sales of cannabis. And it was interesting because it was still not defined how the regulations would be, uh, you know, established, but everyone was doing their exploration to see what they can do. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's where we really got exposed to the industry and um, we saw one specific area that was of interest to us and that was normalization and personalization of cannabis. So mm-hmm. that's how we really got into the cannabis industry. Mm. And then, so from there, yeah, that that's awesome. And then from there, you know, what what sort of stood out to you? And, you know, going from, I, I'm always curious of going from these, you know, highly established, highly regulated industries and then into something brand new like cannabis, like what surprised you? Like what learning curves did you have to go through? I think what's been interesting is that, you know, honestly, uh, when we had that search engine optimization agency, there was no, um, that was an established industry yet. And then when mm-hmm. the user experience agency was there, it still wasn't. But with cannabis, we found some similarities and a ton of differences. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, regulation, regulation being regional, 
um, and really trying to understand how to build products that are globally relevant, but have them navigate each, not only province, but federal um, differences in laws and so on. So I think that's one aspect of this industry being a regulated market, but in every sense of the word being mm-hmm. regulated mm-hmm. Uh, is one of the biggest challenges for, mm-hmm. the, for the industry itself. Right, and so where, and I'm assuming that's where Can I Know started to, and responsible cannabis use, that's where all, all that started to evolve. Um, and you know, I, I had a look at Can I Know, and I was looking at some of the different provincial laws, and it's really surprising that we took that route where each province can, can kind of um, decide how things are regulated. So what surprised you between provinces? Like, I, I was shocked to learn that Quebec doesn't, didn't even, still doesn't have cannabis 2.0 products, and they've been kind of slower. That's right. it's, it's really similar in the United States, too, where it's very fragmented. So, you know, what surprised you and then how did you, you know, how are you hoping to to educate people on that? So when we started RCU, really standing for responsible cannabis use, uh, my other two partners, uh, one, Ilya Larionov, he came from a background of UX and design. He was with me as part of a small agency and then eventually at Shopify. And my other partner, um, Karina Karasev, she came from a world of insurance. So what we saw was an opportunity to, like I said, normalize Mm. and um, personalize cannabis. And one of the biggest challenges that you come across is first understanding what legalization really means. Mm. So um, like you said, each region has decided to have its own laws. So federally, cannabis has been legalized for Canada, but the laws in Ontario are different than the ones in BC and in Alberta and so on. And so simple things like in Ontario, you can consume cannabis. Uh, as an example, you could smoke a joint. Anywhere you could smoke a cigarette, obviously minus cars and boats. Mm. Uh, but in Alberta, you can only do it inside of your private residences. Mm. Now, mind you, no one's really going around getting issuing these tickets or we haven't seen those, hmm. but just a variety of tiny nuances of uh, laws being different are stuff that we thought people would be interested in knowing hmm. and not having to search through each province's specific <laughs> website and scrolling mm-hmm. through to figure it out. So we basically had this whole mission of, okay, if we're gonna normalize cannabis, hmm. first we gotta make cannabis information accessible. Hmm. So we launched can I know C-A-N-N-I-Know.com. And on that website, you can type in any city in Canada or any city in the US, and we give you the specific laws. Currently, most of the laws are based on that province or that uh, state, uh, but we have the capability of actually allowing municipalities hmm. to customize their own laws if they needed to. So for instance, if anyone's familiar with Ontario, um, you know the city of Richmond Hill, uh, no cannabis consumption can be done outside in, in public places, but just outside of the city of Richmond Hill, you can. Hmm. Uh, and these are the nuances uh, of laws and the differences that we wanted to make accessible for people through caniknow.com. Hmm. That, that's fantastic. And one of the questions that's on my mind is that, you know, you, you look at the United States and how fragmented the you know, their cannabis laws are, and there's always talks of legalization, you know, legalization is approaching, and I'm always curious about how they're going to approach it. Is it going to be state by state, almost province like province like we have, or are they going to have, you know, blanket cannabis laws? And I'm curious as to what you think, if, you know, did we take the right approach? Is it too confusing? Or, you know, is it, should it be up to states and provinces? I'm just curious to hear what you think. Well, I think it's, um, 
if we admit the fact that uh, each state or each province has cultural differences mm. and, and unique aspects to them, then the fact that the laws are going to be different in each one mm. is somewhat justified. Mm-hmm. I think uh, it gets confusing where the consumer is expected to know the nuances right. uh, to a degree that, that impacts them. Mm. So um, I think the challenges sometimes right now are that uh, product availability mm-hmm. sometimes are as a result of one one province or one state deciding mm-hmm. to you know go a different route. Mm. Um, so you know so on the question of should they be different, I do agree that they can be different to reflect the uniqueness of each one of those states or provinces. Mm. But should they be different to a point that they could you know enhance uh, or impact the consumer experience or the patient experience, then mm-hmm. that, that becomes a question that we really mm-hmm. you know have to be careful of how we answer it. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially it comes down to product availability for patient side of things or um, you know the recreational side of it. Mm-hmm. You may argue that consistency of products can actually lead to more uh, responsible behavior because you mm-hmm. get the brands that you know and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, I think there's a long time, uh, a lot of time has to pass before we can reflect on this and figure out which one was most effective. Um, and to your question about what we think is going to happen in the states, where we're already seeing it, uh, can I know obviously has all the information for all the states across the U.S. as well. Um, and there are nuances of differences for consumption, for possession amounts. Um, you know, places where you can purchase and so on and so forth. For the time being, um, each state, you know, one of the major differences is that in Canada, for instance, you can take cannabis with you on your person and, and fly from mm-hmm. Toronto mm-hmm. to Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And as long as you're in, within the possession limit, you're absolutely fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the states, you can't cross state lines with cannabis. And that's because, again, federally, it's not legal. Uh, one caveat is that there was this case last year where uh, some some Torontonians got on a plane with cannabis, and uh, on the plane they were told that they have to make an emergency stop in Seattle. Oh, no. And now you're crossing international Ooh. borders, so you know it's really mm. up to you to take that risk. Mm-hmm. You should probably get rid of the product if that happens. <laughs> that's where the, the regional laws get somewhat tricky. Right, or even if you're you know if you're in the United States and you're crossing state lines and you have cannabis if you're going from you know one <laughs> safe haven uh, state to the other where cannabis is legal and you have to cross state lines in let's say Alabama where it's not you could risk prison time and that's that's really scary yes and I think those are those are you know where things can get really really hairy for consumers mm-hmm. uh, and patients mm-hmm. you know th- there are also cases where people just don't understand what the legal law uh, what the regional mm-hmm. laws mean so mm-hmm. for instance we had this issue where um, oh it wasn't us necessarily but we heard of this issue mm-hmm. where um, a teacher in Florida uh, got fired because of uh, cannabis consumption. Not necessarily that mm. they were consuming cannabis at, at work or anything like that. They're actually right. a medical patient right. who's got their prescription from a doctor. Mm. And Florida is a state where medical mm. cannabis is legal. Mm. However, the, the teachers uh, are regulated by a federal board. And because federally it's illegal, unfortunately, they were let go. And these are, you know, issues that we see not understanding the law mm. here and there people are not going to come and give you a ticket for smoking in the street mm-hmm. or we haven't seen high cases of that mm-hmm. but when you see that people lose their jobs because they didn't understand the regional laws that's mm. when things get super serious mm. and, and that's just another it's just another point to hammer home that you know federal legalization makes sense in the united states just from just from again letting down the rules and being able to 
again, a, a medical patient being fired for being a medical patient doesn't make any sense. And, and that's something I'm a huge advocate for is medical patients. Um, I think it's really interesting that, you know, if you look at California and Prop 216 and, you know, it, it always starts almost medical just like here in Canada, when we have the Cannabis Act, it starts medical and, and the ACMPR, and then it moves towards letting adult use happen. So what, you know, how, do, do you think that rec or adult use and medical should be segregated? Do you think there's a lot of overlap? Like, I, I'm, I'm kind of trying to wrap my head around the whole thing. <laughs> so what we do see right now is that, like, if you follow... Um, anywhere that's legalizing cannabis in mm -hmm. one way or another. Mm -hmm. So as an example, let's take a look at, for instance, Mexico, and mm -hmm. they're really trying to push that through right now. Mm -hmm. uh, initially, every region seems to go forward with the um, case for medical first, because mm -hmm. that becomes mm -hmm. a human rights mm -hmm. uh, issue, mm -hmm. and uh, whether it's a very severe issue that cannabis is sort of the, the um, uh, you could say drug, quote unquote, mm -hmm. uh, of choice for remedying that pain or that symptom or so on. You cannot or you should not be able to stop someone from consuming a certain product for mm -hmm. a better way of life if they've been diagnosed. So I think that's what really pushes it forward. And we see similarities with that in Canada and the U.S., mm -hmm. as well as, for instance, in South Africa mm -hmm. or in Mexico. Yeah. And that's where the idea of, okay, well, maybe it's not illegal or shouldn't be illegal, mm -hmm. uh, you know, comes up and they push it through the medical side first. Mm -hmm. And once that's done, I think every region starts to realize that, well, hey, if we've made this medically legal, what is the big difference going after recreational use? And mm -hmm. recreational use obviously has its challenges. I mm -hmm. think there's a lot of folks who've had misunderstandings about what cannabis is. Mm -hmm. There is a mm -hmm. lot of religious groups that, that just don't see products like that as products that should be legal. Mm. There's a lot of concerned parents and so on and so forth. But the reality of it is the product's available. The product's available and it's got consumers and patients mm. and regulation can actually make things more safe for everyone. Mm. Because with regulation, mm. you get product consistency. Mm. So chances of you having bad product or moldy product on one side mm. or perhaps products that have inconsistent amounts of THC or CBD in them, mm. those start to get removed. Mm. Um, on the other side, you have the illicit markets, which really means that there is illegal activity and criminal activity often going on. Um, and it's somewhat sad to see you know, that this product was categorized as a Schedule One drug, uh, right. but it's also crazy to see that currently in the United States, 70% or I think 68% mm -hmm. support for cannabis legalization. Mm -hmm. So these are all interesting times because it's showing that, hey, um, perhaps the original reasons why this product was made illegal were lack of understanding or political agendas at the time. And as we're changing it, not only is it safer for people, but it's actually an economical uh, like economically it makes sense to make cannabis legal mm -hmm. because of the tax dollars that can be generated right. for each region. Right. So medical starts a question of should we make this happen? Mm -hmm. It gets pushed through and then all the rec follows the business decisions and safety decisions and mm -hmm. so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. 
that, that's such a great point about the illicit market and safety because that's what it should be about and having i work at an lp right now and i'm seeing the amount of paperwork that needs to be done to sell a product is incredible to ensure that in the the, the strict coas that have to pass it has to pass micros pesticides leads you know the, the heavy metals everything it's and none of that is done on the illicit market you don't know how this is grown you don't know what they're using to grow it so from a safety perspective that makes sense um from a revenue perspective here here's what i think is interesting is you know if you look at the the valuations of a lot of these big companies um they're really they're taking a big hit and a lot of people are saying okay well did we miss the mark on cannabis did we you know overestimate how big of a market share we could capture is it and you know if we're really going after those those heavy consumers and what they care about is price well are they just going to the illicit market anyway so you know from from a revenue perspective do you think that we that we overestimated how big of a commodity cannabis is do you think that we should kind of take a step back and and take more of the medical approach like I, i'm just i, I want to hear your thoughts i think that we underestimated how how much time it will take hmm. i don't think we hmm. I, I think we underestimated the market hmm. But we overestimated, uh, and we were too optimistic around the time that will take to normalize mm. these things and get an industry that never existed before. So, you know, when, when people take a look at cannabis and they say prohibition of cannabis, mm -hmm. I think sometimes that wrongly equates it to the prohibition of alcohol. And the thing about prohibition of alcohol is that alcohol was already industrialized. Right. You already knew that there is beer that goes in bottles and mm -hmm. there is wine that goes in bottles and so on and so forth, and perhaps not to a degree and the marketing capabilities of today. Mm. But when prohibition came, mm -hmm. uh, they took the products off the shelf, mm -hmm. uh, and then when the prohibition went away, they already knew that these beers go in fridges or you know wines go in cellars and so mm -hmm. on and so mm -hmm. forth, and they got to be sold here. The whole idea of industrializing cannabis had to come with things like, what the hell packaging do we put it in? <laughs> you know, like right, hey, that, right. that was never a thought that someone had come across before in right, that way. Right. I think the most organized way that did this, or a region that did this was in Amsterdam and how they sold you the products, but mm. still there was even inconsistency in how they sold you the products over the market, mm -hmm. uh, over the table, uh, or counter rather. <laughs> and in Amsterdam, because you had to actually consume at those mm -hmm. coffee shops, there was no, um, carrying the product with you home or anything else like that. So again, they, they sold it to you in open format and you would consume right there. So the, like that's just one example of, I think everyone underestimating how long it will take to get to a point. And you know what? When people hear you and I talk about, oh, well, like regulations help with pesticides and stuff like that. And there are folks that are like, no, they didn't. So I got moldy weed and stuff like that. And that is 100% true. I mean, mm. if we're not gonna take a look at every single industry and say that there is a percentage of issues, like mm. there are cars being driven mm. around in Canada and the United States mm. that have issues that were released because those percentages right. are part right. of the production mm. you know, estimates. That's a good point. The industry is gonna have a lot of challenges going forward. I think it's gonna take five to six years, at least from today, mm. to for us to get to a point of optimization for mm. all of these processing, mm. packaging, consumer expectation. Mm. Once those are established, we're going to then start to see uh, the real iceberg, uh, you know, that exists mm. for cannabis globally. Mm. That's that's a great point. And I think, you know, as a tipping point, you know, as the tip of the iceberg, a lot of people see this as CPG. They see this as, you know, it's a recreational drug. But I really think the the bottom part that we don't see is it's 
piece as a wellness industry, right? And, and it's piece along 100%. with psychedelics and where this is going to affect the, the medical model that we the Western medical model that, that we see and use today. I, that's where I think the tipping point is. Um, when you say, you know, like five to six years, do you mean just in Canada or globally? Well, I think that, uh, you know, I, I sometimes get hurt by this a little bit because I think Canada is, is one of the first G7 countries to legalize uh, or the first G7 mm-hmm. countries mm-hmm. to legalize had uh, and still has a tremendous opportunity mm-hmm. in, in the global market for mm-hmm. setting trends, setting expectations, and mm-hmm. so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the packaging, the marketing, the regulation standards that Canada comes up with mm-hmm. could be a you know global standard that goes into play. But in a lot of ways, we're missing that mark, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, back to your question, I think that regardless, between Canada and now the U.S., and in my opinion, in the U.S., we are going to see federal legalization happen in the next like, year or two. Um, I know everyone's hoping for it to happen earlier, but I think yeah. it has to go through the political back and forth for it to get justified mm-hmm. and people, you know, to still support the people that they voted for and so on. <laughs> but once the U.S. Um, gets to a federal point, that becomes the standard for the rest of the globe. And already we're seeing other countries like Germany uh, with their medical market and so on mm-hmm. start to show mm-hmm. the differences of how cannabis will be brought mm-hmm. into that country where due to costs of production germany is going to import um and, and you know that is going to be a very different model mm-hmm. than we have in canada or the us hmm. and how you know I, I know we mentioned um you know can i know for canada and the u.s but how are things looking on the international side are are they as far behind as we think or are they getting closer and closer every day i think that they're getting closer every day mm-hmm. and there are companies in different regions um you know for instance in mexico with with the mexican population uh, of 128 million people mm-hmm. uh, and you know we have a uh, a new company that we're talking to their uh partner uh, we're hoping to establish a more formal partnership with them mm-hmm. uh, the name of them is Kenkura. those guys are sort of ahead of the game significantly because mm-hmm. what they're doing today is they're really building up the communication and the, the expectation setting for mm-hmm. governments and mm-hmm. people to see this as a legitimate industry mm-hmm. and, a comp- and see Mexico as a giant player in this global uh, cannabis market that's about to come. Um, again, each country seems to take around three to five years to figure out from mm-hmm. the time that the legalization of rec- recreational cannabis comes in mm-hmm. until they can figure out their uh, footing. Like in Canada, if you take a look at it, and you're, you're familiar with this too, you know, the biggest province, Ontario, I think if you ask people, hey, if you could go back to mm-hmm. beginning of 2018, mm-hmm. would you still set up the same regulations in Ontario? I doubt they would say, yes, I would. Because Ontario's overall cannabis recreational market went through this, you know, whack of um, whack-a-mole of a experience where they had lottery systems for retailers. Mm. Then they took away the lottery <laughs> systems for retailers. Then they brought it back, mm. and then you had retailers who, who, for the purpose of lottery, had to go and already get a lease approval. Mm. So you got a bunch of people thinking that only some of them will win. All of them going and getting cannabis stores and leases on Queen Street, which is one mm-hmm. of the like, you know, uh, most trafficked uh, mm-hmm. streets before the pandemic. Hopefully, you'll come back to that. Yeah. But like now, when all of them were able to get the licenses, you got around 20 or 20 some odd cannabis retailers all on one freaking street. <laughs> 
and, and you know it's so these are the things where i say oh it's going to take a bunch of years for us to still figure it out right but the hope here is that other countries can take a look at some of the things that canada did right some of the things that we mm-hmm. could have done better and try to optimize so where it takes us five to mm-hmm. six years for canada maybe mexico is going to catch up in three years mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe, you know, other regions in the world are going to catch up in a fraction of that time. Right, right. I think we had a first mover's advantage, was, which was great, but it also comes at a lot of the costs of the first mover's advantage, which is you, you're essentially the first and you don't get to learn from the mistakes of others. Right. Um, and you made a great point about, you know, there being 20 cannabis stores on Queen Street, because at that point when you can't even look in inside of the store and when there are 600 retail stores in Canada how do you compete and you know my my flip side to saying you know the positive of that is well you have to innovate and you have to focus on your customer service and you have to train your staff and you really have to stand out I, I think it pushes them to go above and beyond um, but how would you do things differently than than what we did if you you have a magic wand you're in control <laughs> how would you do things differently than than when we first did it 2018 well i think um first of all opening up the cannabis uh licenses to the model that it is right now Mm. uh, allowing large number of stores to open up Mm. i know that initially another concern was lack of product being available Mm. so you know more collaboration between the government uh, health canada specifically Mm -hmm. and the manufacturers Mm -hmm. like the licensed producers really Mm -hmm. should have been done to help the market come out in a successful way. Hmm. But when you dilly-dally regulations and when you hmm. sort of like take a long time for processing of these things, hmm. uh, and these are sort of driven by regulation passing a little bit later than expected or hmm. all these things, they, they start to create this bottleneck for the industry. And really what ends up happening is that you're actually hurting and harming hmm. the entrepreneurs or the businesses hmm. that raise capital to hmm. take this risk to establish this local and global market hmm. and you stifled a lot of them across Canada through these regulations. Hmm. On the other side, there are certain things that, you know, maybe some industry folks won't agree with me on, but I do think like limitation of 10 milligrams on, on the uh, edible products hmm. in a lot of ways was actually good because hmm. On, on that side, like you're saying, well, yeah, but in the U.S., you get a hundred milli uh, gummy and so sure. on. And I believe that even though today there was a stat around 23% of Canadians consume cannabis, I still think like a lot of people are not raising their hands mm. when it comes down to con- cannabis consumption. But I believe there is a more significant new cannabis consumers and new age cannabis consumers. Mm-hmm. And for those getting introduced to 2.0 products mm-hmm. at 10 milligram ensures that they become long-term consumers rather than introducing them to a 100 milli gummy mm-hmm. and having them have the worst experience. Right, right. And then shy away from the product for like a few years. Oh, that's such a great point. That's such a great point. If you don't make that, and it's not to say there aren't illicit gummies or chocolate bars that are a a thousand milligrams i'm doing air quotes because you have no idea but by kind of limiting that option you you reduce the amount of like you said adverse experiences that people have because you know i'm sure you've heard a hundred times you know people either their first cannabis experience wasn't edible and it was too strong and that they didn't enjoy it or it was the you know in their friend's basement when they were 17 and they did you know a a bong toke the size of my hand and then of course they had an awful time so i think from a responsible cannabis use standpoint and from kind of catering to that can of curious that that's an excellent point and that that's an argument i haven't heard before for the 10 milligram cap so thank you um i i I think that's great and 
One of the topics I want to talk about, of course, is um, for new cannabis consumers is story and how you're kind of you're changing the game to how we we market to cannabis consumers and how we store our product. Can you tell me a little bit about the origins of story and and how, how you guys are doing it differently? For sure. So I think uh, maybe a couple of quick steps back. Uh, when we established RCU, Responsible Cannabis Use, mm-hmm. our goal was to uh, provide a series of products that kept uh, up with our original goal, which was to normalize and personalize cannabis. So like I said, first product was canino.com to help provide accessible information for regional cannabis laws. Mm. We also launched an e-learning course for employers, but uh, you know we could get into that later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the third product was to really help people normalize and personalize cannabis at home. Mm. So one of the biggest challenges with this product is that Again, like I said, we're at the infancy of consumer um, behaviors and consumers understanding how to deal with the product and now it's sort of regulated, it's consistent and so on and so forth. And some of the other challenges with it are that like like any industry, you're going to get a large spectrum uh, of different types of consumers. Mm-hmm. So you're going to get people that walk in and want to buy a product based on its price and you get people that want to buy a product based on its quality and some people want to buy a product that's closest to them because they don't want to drive too far or whatever the case may be um one opportunity for us was to change the way people came to uh get to know the cannabis products and store the cannabis products Mm. um i'm sure everyone who's had cannabis Uh, or has heard of someone having cannabis Mm. has come across a story of oh one time i consumed this thing and it gave me no effect Mm -hmm. too much effect Mm -hmm. one time i took it to sleep i was up all night one time i took it to work i passed out and Mm. all of these other aspects of again not knowing what the cannabis product is supposed to do for you for folks that are from the industry they're familiar with the endocannabinoid system uh, the ecs mm-hmm. uh, which is our personal like our body almost having a plug in a socket mm-hmm. uh, of being able to um have essentially these sensors that balance your body heat your appetite your mm-hmm. mood and these being sensors that exist and the cannabinoids of cannabis obviously mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so cannabis can be different for each person and understanding that was one mission. Mm-hmm. And then the other part of it was, how do we allow you to actually be proud of being or celebrate mm-hmm. being a cannabis consumer or patient? Two very complex, hairy problems. Our approach here was to create a cannabis storage device that helped you first store products mm-hmm. in purpose-built mm-hmm. can- like units Uh, And second, for you to get to know what you're consuming and does it give you the desired effect? Mm. So story, uh, you know, initially the way we came across it was we took a look at the industry and we're like, holy crap, when products went into packaging, everyone's sort of using (laughs) pill bottles Mm -hmm. or cream Mm -hmm. bottles equivalent in plastic Mm -hmm. and selling selling this flour in plastic. Mm -hmm. Then we started to realize that, well, you also get consumers that walk in the store and buy $100 worth of products. Mm-hmm. So they're buying a diverse number mm-hmm. of products to find out which one works for them. Mm-hmm. And what they end up with is a counter with a bunch of plastic. Mm-hmm. And unlike alcohol, you now have this different problem where like 
you could even buy a few bottles of whiskey and if you put them mm-hmm. on your counter it actually looks nice because <laughs> right. the, the you know there's way more freedom for alcohol packaging right 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 and, and people that get serious about their whiskeys they have mm. a whiskey card mm. and they get whiskey glasses mm. but that experience did not exist for cannabis mm. there's a lot of products that what we call are repurposed products right so you got a humidor and they put a lock on it and they're like, oh, now this is for your cannabis. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you have a pencil case and now there's a combination <laughs> on it. Right. And like, oh, this is for your cannabis. Right, right. And we said, okay, well, if we want to really get down to people personalizing the cannabis experience, why would I want to hide something that I want to consume? Mm-hmm. Why would I want to lock it up? Mm-hmm. You keep saying lock boxes are for guns. Mm-hmm. And, you know, can I actually find out, like, what are the best practices for my cannabis store? So we did a ton of research and we realized that, okay, well, consumers today buy flour, buy edibles, buy capsules. Mm. So the containers need to be food grade to Mm. be able to keep the products in ideal condition. Mm. Uh, When it comes down to flour, everyone uses mason jars, but I don't know that, or I do know, and most Mm. of the people actually don't know that light is not good for your flour. It actually starts to... Uh, degrade the terpenes mm-hmm. and uh, the terpene profiles and the flavonoids and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So you, even if you have it in a mason jar, what we recommend is that make sure there's no light that can get mm-hmm. through the mason jar. Mm-hmm. The third part of it is that it's got to be airtight and odor proof because again, as much as people love the odor of cannabis <laughs> when they're consuming it, they mm-hmm. don't want their house to smell like cannabis right. when they're not consuming. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how you know, all of these little check boxes became the requirements for story, uh, but it was best actually explained by my co-founder, who's also my life partner, uh, Karina, because she, at the beginning of legalization, she went out uh, with a bunch of her friends. They had visited from, like, we lived out on Toronto, so mm. they had come uh, come to meet her, and uh, if you're familiar with Ossington, sort of like a hipster area of mm-hmm. Toronto, they have this little tiny theater there, and they were gonna go for dinner and theater. So they, finished their dinner after dinner she was like hey let's smoke a joint by the way yeah you can smoke a joint in the streets of toronto where you know Mm -hmm. uh, you can legally smoke cigarettes so they smoke this thing and then there is half a joint left Hmm. and she's like where like what do i do with this she didn't want to throw it in the garbage she didn't want to throw it in the floor Hmm. uh so she has to grab a kleenex and wrap it up and then put it in her purse she's got like you know fancy purse and now she's walking into this tiny theater of 50 people getting cross-eyed like for everybody that's like oh man you're the pothead or whatever Uh and then the joint afterwards not useful anymore because it smells like ashes and all Mm -hmm. these other things so it's like holy crap why did i feel bad about something that i should feel good about Mm -hmm. one two there's got to be a better way to store this thing rather than a ziploc bag Mm -hmm. or uh you know a mason jar right right and three you know, can I actually make this a focal point of my home decor and design the same way that I do my wine cards mm-hmm. and so on? Mm-hmm. So that's how we came up with Story. And uh, it's mm. uh, recently won uh, Gold Award at the International Muse Awards for Excellent. its industrial design, which yeah. is super fantastic. And we're excited to take it into new regions. And I, this is audio, but you, you have to see it for yourself. It's S-T-O-R-I. And it's it's exactly what you would want out of a modern, approachable um 
cannabis display. Like you said, this isn't someone's pencil case with a couple old pill bottles. This is something that you'd want to show off and you have the app to accompany it. I think it's brilliant. And, and you mentioned in our first conversation, it's very akin to the Heineken shoe closet commercial. If, if you remember <laughs> that, right? Yeah, absolutely. And there was that commercial where, you know, the guy's opening up his, his, again, it's this huge Heineken display and he wants to show it off and people want to do that with their cannabis too. Um, so I, I think that's super smart. And, you know, on to making this approachable and the can of, can of curious, you know, how do you, how do you think we should, we can better approach the, the cannabis, the can of curious individuals? Do you think, you know, that they're underrepresented? Do you think companies are, are really even catering towards that right now? I think that we're sometimes missing the mark when it comes down to understanding, you know, why people consume cannabis or how they mm -hmm. want to go about their experience. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when when someone takes an Advil, they're trying to get rid of a headache. They're yeah. not trying to get high, mm -hmm. right? When someone has a glass <laughs> of wine, they're, they're trying to change their state of mind, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And just, you know, there's been so many freaking times I'm guilty of working late and uh, getting to a point where I get super tired, mm -hmm. but then I have a beer or have a glass sure. of wine or, you know, some whiskey and like mm -hmm. it gives you this other Interesting. Uh, energy and yeah. you just keep going with it. And I yeah. think cannabis has its own purpose for a variety of those use cases. Mm -hmm. um, and now I have friends that call me and say, hey, you know, what gummy should I take? Because I want to do some creative thinking mm -hmm. or hey, I like, a, you know, I want to replace my sleeping pills with this or mm -hmm. personally, I replace Adderall with cannabis. Mm -hmm. uh, so there are a lot of different ways of getting into the cannabis experience. Mm. Again, as much as I hate comparing it to alcohol, but for <laughs> folks that are kind of curious, mm. it is very similar to alcohol. Like if you go and you're at a brunch mm -hmm. uh, and you order uh, cognac for brunch, it's sort of like, okay, that Weird doesn't necessarily make yeah. sense. <laughs> yeah, but what do you have at brunch? You have mimosas, mm. Bloody Marys or Caesars, depending mm -hmm. if you're from Canada, US. Uh, <laughs> And, and when I say a nightcap, you don't think of a mimosa. You don't mm. think like, oh man, I'm gonna have the sh yeah. like champagne and mm -hmm. orange juice right before mm -hmm. I go to sleep. You think of bourbon, you think of cognac, mm. and those are the drinks that you have. When it comes to alcohol, we have this outcome-oriented way of thinking, where we say, oh, it's a hot day, and right now, what do you want? Do you wanna have like a margarita, mm -hmm. or do you wanna have a cold Corona, or whatever? Mm -hmm. And those are the ways that we sort of try mm. to satisfy those urges. Mm. But cannabis, for a lot of folks, they still haven't realized, you know, what products do they want from mm. what outcomes. And I think that's where um, there's a huge opportunity in mm. helping people personalize their cannabis. And we do that, like you said, physically with the story device, mm -hmm. but also digitally with the story app that mm. helps you keep track of, you know, what you've mm -hmm. consumed, did you like it or not, product history, because I bet you right now, most people, even folks that are buying cannabis weekly, mm -hmm. still don't know the name of the brands that they're buying. <laughs> right, that's crazy to me. That's you know, they're really, yeah, it yeah. is. And it is because it hasn't been there, it hasn't been a thing that yeah. you had to get used to. I mean, like if there was a brand new sports league, would everyone know every single team's names in that sports league? No, it takes time for you to figure it out. And then on top of that, then the players for each team, would you know, you know who's the best forward or defender or whatever else in this new sport? It takes time for people mm. to build those relationships, mm. and that's where we are. So our hope is mm. to allow for better discovery of cannabis, better storage of cannabis, and to your point, having this part of cannabis that becomes your story mm. 
pun intended, uh, <laughs> when people want to learn more about why you did that. So if you came to my house and I have a double barrel whiskey or you know, um, I have this wine that's super unique, hmm. I love to brag about it and mm-hmm. tell you because not mm-hmm. only am I telling you about this product, but it, mm-hmm. I'm telling you about my preferences. And that's what we like to replace for cannabis with Story and Story App. Excellent, excellent, excellent all around. Ashvin, you're you're so great to talk to. I, I couldn't think of a better place to to end things off. Um, where can people hear more from you and, and stay in the loop? Well, uh, our product is available at yourstory.com, and there we keep up a lot of uh, content, not mm-hmm. only about best practices for storage mm-hmm. and discovery of product, but also just around the lifestyle and culture of cannabis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on. Uh, our other business, uh, RCU, uh, drcu.org, uh, is the best place to learn more about all the products that we've released in the market to help normalize and uh, personalize cannabis. Wonderful, wonderful. I, I'm looking forward to hearing more and, and staying up to date. And can I get my hands on a story system? Are they available for sale right now? Yes, they are. Definitely. I'd be happy to share our family and friends code with you. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. I look forward to it.